I don't know about you, but when you look around the world, there are some amazing stories of what God is doing. And you have to dig out a bit and you have to hear them, I think, from people who are on the coal face. You can, you can get some of these on YouTube and Instagram and so on, or social media, let's say. But there are some that are genuine, uh, well, those are genuine, but uh, they're, they're word of mouth stories. You know, you're not that far disconnected from the story. And I, I heard one the other day, uh, because God is doing phenomenal things in, in countries where the gospel is closed or we are not allowed to reach. Uh, countries that have banned the message of Jesus. But Jesus is present everywhere and he's in their world. And you hear stories like this. There was a, a guy who, a young man, he was absolutely confused by all the questions of life. He, he really was battling with understanding. In fact, actually, it was driving him mad to the point that he wanted to take his own life. And he came to that point where he just said, I am, he was just only 30 years old, I just want to give up, let go. I can't do this anymore. Very sad scenario. He went home that night and he said to anything, he just sort of spoke out and said, I need help. I can't find answers to life. I don't know what to do. And he said, out of the floor, an image rose of a man. He said, I now know who that man is. It was Jesus. And this image rose and Jesus was standing before me. And all he did was lean forward and put his forehead on my forehead. And I was at total peace. All my questions were answered. I don't know how he said no, but nothing was communicated. But I knew what I needed to know. He's now baptized and a member of his church and flourishing in the church he's in. But here's the interesting part. That's not a story of a closed country. That's a story of a person in Scotland where the gospel is preached regularly and heard enough and there's churches everywhere, but it, Jesus is still moving in those places everywhere. I find those stories fascinating because it means if you are in a position where you don't know what the answers are or particularly if you're here for the first time or you've just come to places like this for a few times and you are really seeking truth, and you want to have an experience that changes your life, I'll tell you right now, the greatest opportunity you have is to accept Jesus. It's a world changer, game changer. I've been a Christian for 50 years now, and uh, I, I was saying this morning, I, I, rem I think of my experience of finding Christ every single day. Not a day goes by where I'm grateful, thankful for God pulling me out of the stuff I was in. And my salvation wasn't much different to his in the sense that I, I didn't go to a church so much. In, well, I'd been to a church, but it wasn't in the church. It was sitting at home trying to wrestle with life where I encountered Christ. And the amazing thing about encountering, encountering Jesus is that you, you often think you have to be a, a good person or you have to get everything right or your world has to be in order so that God sees the acceptability of what you've done. And then he says, okay, I'll help you. But you know, I discovered it's the other way around. I'm never going to get it right. And I, was, I tried for two weeks to control what was going on in my life. And I, I, I tried all sorts of things, religious things really, even though I'd never been really involved in the church. But I look back now and they're pretty religious things. Um, 
And, and nothing changed for me until the day I just stopped and said, I'm trying to get God to accept me. But actually all I have to do is accept him. And if I just surrender and I, I've figured this out now, I'm putting it in logic now, then I just went, I have no idea who's out there or what it is, but I can't do this anymore. If you're real, Jesus, and you come into my life, I'll change and live according to your plan. And basically that's what happened. I just surrendered and grace comes in. There's no merit on my behalf. I did nothing absolutely zero to get right before God. But when he comes in and he changes your life and your world, it's turned upside down. And I think that's something we must never forget about what we live in. So as I said, if you're here, it's new to you, you're experiencing this. I, I challenge you to open your, your heart, if you like, your life to the power of Jesus Christ, to a person who can turn it around. And it's not based on your merit. And that's good news, isn't it? So much bad news in the world. But the good news is it's all based on his merit and none of mine. That's actually the gospel in short version or the good news. Gospel means good news. And I hope tonight there's some people who will engage in that opportunity to just surrender to him and let him have a go where you've tried so hard so often to get it right, but it never, never turned out. Well, it's your night. I really believe that. All right, I want to read a passage to you. I want to take a text out of uh, Matthew 7, I think it is, if we can put it on the wall uh, or on the screen. Matthew 7, 7, 8 says, Keep on asking and it will be given you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Goes on further and says this, For everyone who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. If you've been around long enough, you've heard or read those passages or ideas or concepts. Ask, you receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door is open. Nothing really, uh, what's the word, overwhelming with that. We've heard it, even if you're not used to church life, and you're just coming along tonight, that's, that's something you've heard. So what's interesting about this verse is, is not what it's saying, but the context it's in. Jesus is saying this in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, the Sermon of the Mount is a, an amazing, what could I say, sermon. Uh, it's what's called the Sermon of the Mount. S story, if you like. And you need to read it. It doesn't take long. It's about, I think they say it probably took Jesus about... 15 minutes to communicate it to the crowd. You've got to remember the crowd was massive, massive crowd. There were no microphones in those days, so probably he pitched it and slowed it down and had to yell at the crowd out to the back so they heard it. So he, he wasn't talking fast. He was talking, so they say 15 to 20 minutes. Actually, the Sermon on the Mount is what's called the Ethics of the Kingdom Sermon. It's all about how to be, what to be. It's about philosophical things. There's not much there on action things, except this one. This one is an action verse. It's actually saying, after all this has been said, actually after he said this, this is what you can do. So the context of this verse becomes quite powerful in that setting because sometimes we can be very 
philosophical about things and Jesus brings it down to this action moment, you might say. And he says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Now we're coming into a new year. I guess everybody in the new year thinks often about resolutions and things they want to do and, and, and things in life and stuff like this. And it's a good time, isn't it, to take reflection on what you want to change, maybe put into your life this year. But I want to set you up today, as, as Joyce rightly said, January's almost gone. We're nearly into February. And I'm going to ask you this. What are you asking for? Well, you know, I don't ask. And, and here's, here's something interesting. I sort of get why you're saying that. Because have a look at Matthew 6, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then Matthew 7, he says this, ask and you shall receive. But hold on, this is playing games now. Now here's the thing, if you're a listener of the Sermon on the Mount and you're taking notes, this comes before what he said. So you're writing down, your father knows what you need before you ask. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't need to say a word because God knows it all. He knows what I, I need and stuff. So I will play a passive game. I won't do much about it because I don't need to because he already knows. So why should I engage in what you might say some work, some action, some movement when he already knows? But the question I have on that verse that he's talking about there, is that a statement about God's character or how you should behave. Actually, it's a statement of God's character, meaning he knows all things, but that shouldn't stop you asking for things. Even though he knows. So Jesus is not implying this is a behavior for you. He's implying that this is the nature of God. He is all knowing. And even the minutest thing that you need in life, he already knows. I think sometimes what we have done, and particularly in these years, as we become more reflective and thoughtful, and that's great, we sometimes lose the action biased of our faith. We sometimes lose the sense of, well, can I use this word? Let's have a bit of push in this. Well, th thankfully, I can hear by what I see in this church, this, this is a bit of a push church. But you could make the mistake and say, oh, I just believe we should chill and just let it all happen. God knows all things. Why, why do we need to be that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, you've got to ask. If you want to receive something, you've got to ask. So the question then is, why do we have to ask? Why should we ask? Based on the fact that God already knows. And there are three reasons why. We'll put them up here for you so you can see them. You'll probably know this, but very simple ideas. One, it builds faith. Two, it builds relationship. Three, it builds hope. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that the fact that God knows all things builds those things. You would say, if he knows all things and he's already there, oh, I can have faith in that or hope in that or relationship. No, it's not till you ask deliberately that those things click in. Let's have a look at the idea of faith. First of all, he's, the idea here is that if you learn to ask and you receive, your faith grows. Faith is throwing out something and pulling it towards you. It's a bit like an anchor. 
where, well, that's hope, actually, where you throw the anchor of hope out and pull it towards you. But faith is casting something, and you, and you come towards something in faith. There are three key words when you think of faith. Here they are. Faith, trust, and loyalty. So faith is the action component of asking. Trust is what I learn and embrace on the way. It's a process. Loyalty is my commitment to my king, the King Jesus, who is in charge of all things. He knows all things, but I am loyal to him. Here's what happens. Some of us play games with those three or don't get those three. Some of us can be very good at faith and forget trust. Some of us can, in the trust moments, forget to express faith. Often we mix faith, uh, trust and loyalty and we do this with each other, actually, sadly. We often say, well, you know, we put the two words and they, they seem for some to mean the same, same thing. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm in a trust thing. I think it was Joyce said even today, we live in a world of no trust and that came up. And I, I, I trust and, and then we lo- we're disloyal to people. But actually, those two are separate things. Trust is my process I'm in, but loyalty is a decision I've made. Trust is the process I'm in when I'm asking, believing God to receive something. And I have, I have made statements that I've cast out. I've said it because you can't, it's ask as a word from the mouth to, to say something. And I say it out and I'm learning as I do that to have faith and it's building trust. But I am, even though I don't see some of those things come to pass immediately, I always have loyalty for who God is. As I trust, I'm, so it's a bit like, a, um, oh, I suppose, a marriage relationship or, or, or something like that where, where you're, you're constantly learning to trust, but you're never disloyal, even though there's trust things going on. Or what about your relationship with God where you are learning to trust? I still am. I've been a Christian 50 years and I'm still trusting God, but I'm never disloyal. I stay loyal to who he is, the kingdom and what he stands for. And even when I ask and plead and, and don't see it immediately what I want, you remain loyal. Don't confuse those two words. And don't confuse them in relationships either. Well, I can't be loyal to that person because I don't trust them. That's actually not true. You can be loyal and learning trust on the journey as you go along. So the first thing he says is, I want you to learn faith. As you ask, you're going to learn faith. So here's the question. Have you set yourself up in 2024 to allow faith and trust and loyalty to be a part of the dynamic of your life because you've chosen to ask for them things that are quite bold, quite out there, or have you passively resigned yourself, been around a while, seen it before, and I'll just go on the philosophical idea. Well, God knows anyway, so I'll chill out. Well, I challenge you to take the words of Jesus and apply them. I challenge you to take, to take a pen and paper or your phone or whatever you do and, and ask for some stuff this year. Ask for things in your life that you know you need a breakthrough in. Ask for things that can change your world and the world around you and other people's worlds. And as you move into faith and you begin to trust and you stand fast in loyalty, you will see God do amazing things. But I'll tell you right now, if you pull back and chill out, you will miss a chance to receive. What are you asking for in 2024? It also builds relationship. As you know, the more you learn to, uh, 
you know, to engage with the nature of who God is, and you watch him do his work in your life, you're building a relationship. Well, I have a relationship. No, the relationship is founded on pretty much what he's done in your world. Now let's build a relationship where together we see things happen. We can so much, it's almost what like we call the sovereignty of God, or we put it back on God. He does all things. But there's also that human responsibility. The fact that we as humans must take up responsibility and, and build that relationship with him. And as you know, in the human realm, the more you ask and receive, the more your relationship is built. This is what parents and children do. They build a relationship. The third one is hope. If I'm learning the right way to ask and I'm throwing out the anchor of hope and I pull it towards me, hope is, hope is different to faith. Faith gets things done. Hope is looking ahead and saying, this is possible. And you know, I hope that none of you are entering 2024 with no ask list. Not a bucket list, an ask list. What have you written down? Now you might say, well, I haven't done anything. Well, don't leave this place tonight before making the decision. This night I've decided I am going to ask God for some stuff. And I'm going to learn through the journey of faith, trust and loyalty to build relationship with him so my hope and my faith increases. Otherwise, you just sit back and let it all happen. Let's ask. Let's be bold. Let's believe God in this year. Things can change. Things can happen. And we can ask because it was the words of Jesus and he meant what he said. The second thing he said of course, was seek and you shall find. Now, seeking is more subjective. Asking is words, it's categoric. You know what you mean when you ask. Seeking, though, is a little bit you're finding your way. You, you don't know what you're looking for, but you're looking for something, you're seeking. We often talk about that with people. They're, they're on a journey of seeking something or looking for something. And the Bible teaches us that we have to be people, people who seek things so that as we seek we come to a knowledge of understanding God wants to open life to us and give us those things we seek bit different to um, asking now here's the thing about seeking I think the thing about seeking is you can you can sometimes get lost in the philosophy of well you know I don't know what I can seek for because to be honest I need to know God's will I I want to seek God's will I want to First, know God's will. And we start to look for the plan A, God's will thing. So I meet lots of people who talk about, I, I need to know God's will. I need to know God's will. But what are you seeking for? Well, nothing until I know God's will. Once I know God's will, then I'll know what to do. Well, aren't you even seeking God's will? Not really. I'm just hoping that God's will will be shown. And then I'll do something about it. And it's almost like we have this Calvinistic idea that there's a, a plan of God. It's the only plan. And as long as I try and find that, all is, all is good. I don't need to seek anything. I just chill out and it's God's plan. Almost a slight fatalism. It's almost this idea of, whatever will be, will be. It will happen because God planned it that way. Hello? Oh my goodness, how much of that do I hear these days of people just sitting back and sort of wallowing in this idea that God is totally sovereign in all things and there's nothing I need to do. In fact, actually, whatever does happen, it's just God's plan. Boy, you can become a lazy Christian that way. 
And you can even lose your way that way. Watch this in the book of Acts. I love this passage because Paul, of course, you know, he was the sovereignty of guy, guy, guy. He, was, he talked about it. But have a look at this passage in the book of Acts and what, it, what, what happens here. And Paul and Silas passed through Phiagra to Galatia, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So they were going somewhere, but the Holy Spirit told them to come back, forbid them. So they actually were pushing a door, pushing an opportunity. Having been forbidden to proclaim the word in the province of Asia. And when they had come opposite Mesia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go there either. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point I would say, this is a waste of time. I'll go home, relax, because it doesn't seem like God's got anything open for me. I'll just chill out because I'll rest in the sovereignty of God and hopefully something will happen. But look what happened. So passing Mesia, they went down to Troas. Is there any more on that? Well, they went down to Troas. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I should have dropped a bit more in there. Here's, here's, here's the thing. Then the opportunity opened up. Look, can you imagine being a follower of Paul? And he says, guys, we're going on a mission trip. We're going to go to Fiagria, and then we're going to go down there and this way. And you, oh, Paul, oh, yeah, oh, he's amazing. Paul is just, and I'm going to follow Paul. I will follow you wherever you may go. And so Paul is trudging off. They have invested their life savings in a mission trip. So they're following Paul. Paul goes, and off he goes to fire, and, and the door shut, boom, and bang, 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 bang. All of them pack up behind each other. And, and they, what happened? And Paul said, uh, that one's uh, not there. And they go, oh, that's all right, Paul, wherever you go. And so off they go again. And they hit another town. And the same thing happens. This happened four times. And they back up behind Paul. You, you would lose confidence, wouldn't you? You would say, we don't, he doesn't know what he's doing. Jesus keeps stopping and the Holy Spirit prevents him. But here's the thing you've got to understand about Paul. He was going to seek until he found. He was going to push until he got. He was going to go there and let God do what he wanted to do. I'm telling you now, friends, sometimes you're better to seek and hear God say, not now, not there, than sit back and do nothing. You've got coming up, I heard, your vision and mission, well, it's three weeks. If you ask me, and I haven't seen any data or detail on this, I believe it will be a time of asking and seeking. It'll be a time of opportunity. And it's those things we should lean into and say, and you know, you might even have that Paul experience where bang, 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 we tried that vision thing, boom, 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 boom. But that's not the time to say, oh, well, we just wait for God. That's the time to say, let's find another place to go. Let's get, let's get a little bit out of our comfort zone and start to seek so we might find. Instead of relying on the absolute purpose of God and... and um, you know, uh, just one day God will bring. It's like it's like it's like sometimes they hear. I'm, I'm, you, you're an audience young enough for this, so I'll say it, and hopefully you know, open to it. But it's like meeting people who who are trying to find a husband or a wife, and the list is massive, and but they're waiting for God. And I'm like, oh, just go seek. <laughs> really, you've done a lot of asking, but you've done no seeking. Well, what do you mean by seeking? Well, just go and ask. Let's do a coffee or something. 
or whatever it might be. You, you guys are so slow on this stuff. I don't get it. <laughs> Just saying. Because we're waiting for God to do the stuff. It's got to be God's perfect solution. It's got to be the A plan. Well, guess what I want to say to you about the A plan. If you believe that there's an A plan, I'm drifting a bit here, but I'm going to do it anyway, that there's only one person in the world you could ever be married to, then you need to visit every single Christian of the age you think is suitable for you in the world so that you know you get the right one. (laughs) Think about it. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to get seeking. But doesn't that apply to everything? To a job? To a house? To say, oh, well, God will work it out. Now, Jesus does talk about that in the Sermon on that. The ability to chill and relax and to let God do stuff. That's the paradox here. But it's a paradox. They are equal ideas. And let me help you with this. If you're spending too much time in the paradox of chilling out and letting God do it, you need to come to the other side. I need to ask and I need to do some seeking. So in 2024, what are you seeking for? What are you going to push through the doors like Paul did? Go on the missionary journey and find out that wasn't the right one, but I'll try again in this other place. Or have we become so philosophical and ground in the idea that God will work it all out. He's actually tired of hearing that stuff. And so Jesus says, ask that you receive, seek so you find. And then he says, knock and it will be open. Three different things really. And here's what it says about knocking. It says this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, this word of knocking is very important because it's about a door. And it says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, but there are many adversaries. Now, he's talking about preaching the gospel. And he's saying there's a, there's a door that can open of preaching. There's many enemies who don't like this. Well, they never do. But the, when you read anywhere in Scripture about a door where you knock on a door and it opens, it's always inclined towards salvation or mission or reaching people. So when you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find When you knock, a door of ministry opens. There's another verse that's written there in Revelation about Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and drink with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. Those two verses are speaking about the idea of reaching people with the gospel. Now, you'd think that's about about me. Now, let me help you with this. If you're here tonight and maybe, you, maybe you've been hearing the knock of Jesus on your heart and he's been banging a bit on your door and you're aware actually that something's trying to get in. Somebody's trying, that's, that knock is the gospel. That knock is the message of Jesus on your heart. But what about us when Jesus says, you need to knock? So the door opens. Why is mission so important to the church? Because it's answering this question. Asking is what I say verbally that I want to receive for myself. Seeking is my inner heart's desire, finding something that I didn't know I could have. Knocking is when I see the mission of Christ unpack in my life. I was reading this verse the other day in Luke 7, and it says this, 
And I was a bit intrigued by it, actually, because it says this. Now, Jesus is in jail at the time. Uh, sorry, John is in jail at the time, and he's trying to figure out if Jesus is the Messiah. So he sends some of his guys to go and to the jail. And um, sorry, he sends some of his guys to go to Jesus and ask him a question about, is this, are you the Messiah? So, so that John knows what's going on. So they meet Jesus and they talk to him. This is what it says. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Watch this. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Now those are specific action moments of Jesus' ministry. I mean, that's the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. This is like, you're blind, you see. I mean, you can't miss it. It's not like the blind got a donkey. The blind see, the lame walk. It's very specific. Then he uses this word, the poor. And this is people of poor financial status. In context, as you can see, the blind, the lame, the lepers are poor in physical status. This is, he's not talking about poor in spirit. He's talking about poor, literally financial. And this is what he says. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And I looked at it and I, for the first time I went, oh, great, that's nice. <laughs> I'd rather have it say, the, the, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor get a new bank account with a million dollars in it. <laughs> that, would, that would be what it should say in its context. But it doesn't say that. And it says that, it actually says all the things like this that you heard about action events in people's lives are amazing. But the most amazing thing is the poor have the gospel preached to them. And when the gospel is preached, everything changes. It changes in your life. It changes, by the way, it changes your financial world. It changes, and that's why you guys are having financial seminars and things like this, because it, ch it changes mindset, it changes heart, it changes. Friends, it's not just about Jesus knocking at the door to come in and, and to sit down and have a little chat. It's, it's a change moment. He pulls you up out of the clay, puts your feet on a rock, washes you, cleanses you. It's a total shift in every dynamic of your life. And I think, <laughs> I love the way you just did that. You just plonked a, a C chord in there, was that? Some chord, some sort of whale music. Where are the other musicians anyway? <laughs> They've gone out for coffee. They've left us. Okay. We're going to sing in a minute. They can come if they want to. You don't look at me like that. It's like you don't know where they are either. He's got the look of, I don't know where they are either. <laughs> Let's bring them here. Here they come. Here they are. This is the important part, Ben. It's about the gospel now. So when, when it talks about knocking and a door opens, it's a collective idea that together we should have mission, we should be preaching, the gospel changes everything, and it turns your life around. I love that idea in this message because Jesus talks about the asking and receiving, the seeking and you finding, and then the knocking and the door opens. What is the greatest thing you have as a Christian to share with others? It's the message of Jesus in your heart. And we need to knock on some doors in people's lives that that message can get in there and get a part of their life, change their lives. Can I say this? 
a church like this grows and expands and does its work, not just because we're here, but because people are changed by this message and become a part of the body of Christ. And we have the key to that as we knock on the door with the message of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And I pray this year, 2024, is that time when we ask specifically, we seek till we find, and we knock till it's opened. We knock on the door of Eastern Europe, old Eastern Europe. We knock, as you said tonight, on the, on the men of Berlin's hearts. That we knock in people's lives till they receive Jesus. Listen, don't take a Sermon on the Mount passive view of life. This is the time to get up, engage, be a part of all that God's doing. It's a time to ask and be specific. It's a time to seek and let the dreams flow out of you. And it's a time to knock and say, Jesus is the answer. Let me tell you right now. I believe it's wonderful that we're seeing salvations like I described, where people are meeting Jesus. But can I help you with this? It's not the way. The way is through us. We are the preachers. We are the messengers of the gospel of Jesus. And I wonder sometimes when we hear those stories, it's because there are no preachers around with that message for them when we should be there knocking. Let's stand.